Good morning, motivators. It's 29th of friggin' November 2018. Got a beautiful sun coming over the hill here, heading down to the college for our last lecture for this semester. Holy shit, the endocrine system. <clears throat> We're gonna knock out a review on Tuesday, but the endocrine system is going live. Just a few minutes. Pairing up glands and hormones, talking about stuff that is AMP applicable to everyone. Nerves and hormones, my friends. The neuroendocrine system is a composer of a vast symphony, which is every cell, tissue, organ, and system of your body. And they patrol so much that everything. So it's important for these friggin' young budding clinicians to know what the hell it's all about. We're not going to talk about neuroendocrine system today, much to your chagrin. What I'd like to discuss with you is nature. You know, I don't know if it's something in my DNA or just the fact that I always grew up. I grew up going out on these long dog walks, camping in the mountains, and the experiences that I had with nature, the appreciation that I had. I guess, you know what, you know where it started, I guess we could say, let's give credit where credit is due. My mother, Janice Margaret Oberst, she, uh, from an early age, the crap that was on TV, the boob tube, she was a big detractor of the boob tube. We can't be watching that nonsense. So she would always put on Wild America with Marty Stauffer. Way back in the day, talking about late 70s, early 80s, she would be, you know, welcome to Wild America. And this kind of hippie guy, hillbilly hippie, would have all these experiences and friggin' with bears and fish and hawks and he would be studying all this stuff and it was just kind of a conversational show. I mean, I don't obviously lack the special effects that we're so used to today, but Wild America was something that maybe I reluctantly or didn't know any better that there might have been other shows on like Cheers or All in the Family or Sanford and Son or whatever was the flavor of the day back then. But Wild America was what we listened to and watched. And I'll tell you what, it was pretty good. You know, I hated it. It's like you take something away from a child. That something is exactly what they want then, right? That whole child psychology. Curious about the world. Tell us we can't do something. We can't climb that tree. That's what we want to go do. Because we're so eager to explore and understand and experience the world. So Wild America was what I had. Maybe a little Jacques Cousteau as well. Those early nature freaks. 
course, uh, John, uh, tells his name. How the hell could I forget him? He's still around. He still does, like, Planet Earth and stuff like that. British guy. Anyway, you know who I'm talking about. These folks are like masters of nature, master appreciators of of nature, and probably masters of Bashan as well. So, I'm a little freaking guy, growing up in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, as is frequently said, you know, we, we didn't freaking go out, we didn't hang out and play video games all day, the video games just weren't cool enough, we had Atari, we had some gadgets and stuff, but this is still like the age of Tonka trucks, where you took a big metal dump truck that you could almost ride as a skateboard, and you would ride as a skateboard. You friggin' go out in a dirt pile in the backyard and cruise around and put things in the back and run over other cars, and this is what we did. Just we're always outside. Next door, my neighbor Matt, we called it Matt's Lot. He, Matt had pretty much like a couple of acres next to his house, so that was like a Jumanji sort of setup canopy of trees, of pine trees, and uh, oaks, scrub, a lot of scrub oaks, low-lying kind of shortened up oak trees, lots of acorns on them. What's the other tree? It looks like, it's leaf looks like a mitten, and if you, got, got, uh, if you take the leaves and you rub them, they smell like really characteristic, you can make a tea out of them, anyway, those trees, we would friggin' climb those trees and run around and throw rocks at each other and make forts, we're always making forts, you know, we lived in a beach community, and so we also spent a lot of time in the bay. At the ends of the community, where the land, where the ocean met the land, where the, where the bay rolled up onto the land, we would see horseshoe crabs and dead fish and live fish and fishermen, crabbers. We're, go, we're always going crabbing looking around in the bay, swimming in the bay, taking our boats out if you're lucky enough to have one or had a friend who had one. They're always looking for somebody to go out on a boat with them. You go out fishing or crabbing or clamming. And so we were very close to the earth. We would surf. So familiar with the way it felt to be riding on a crest of a wave, this force of nature. Literally, just a my father would tell me a story about this old man who was, you know, an old fisherman or something like that, from a diff, guy from a different time. And the old man, one time, he was treading water and he got in the ocean and he got caught in an undertow, which took him out and he couldn't fight it. He, he had the presence of mind not to panic. They always say you gotta swim perpendicular to the to the current that's pulling you 
but you know, I think natural reactions probably to panic. So he did not panic at all, nor did he swim perpendicular to the current. He just let the ocean take him out. And the story was it took him all the way out. It took him out a couple miles or whatever. And he came back in on the tide, still treading water. He stepped out confidently, having relied upon his seamanship skills, and just friggin' walked right up on the beach. I'm sure something like that happened. That could have that story could have been bullshit, probably a legend of the Bay community, but that familiarity, man, that uh, comfort in the storm, comfort in the bugger that nature could be, you know, we used to talk about its beauty, but it's also pretty unforgiving, it doesn't have any conscience nature, it just is, and there's a sense of awe that you get that I always got from feeling that sun on my face right now, how it's just something that we can count on rising and setting every day. Just, it's so much larger than this little life of a commute and a, whatever you know your job is and, and the little busyness of your day. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta get this done. The sun works on such a vast scale, right? With this Earth's rotation. In our solar system, the universe out there, it's on a completely different scale, completely different plane. And so I found that calming because it was, nature is just something that always is there. Trees blooming in the fall, winter, turning color, leaves fluttering to the ground, the earth, the smell of it, the crackle of a leaf. The splitting of wood, the thunk it makes when you get a when my dad would <clears throat> chop wood with an axe or a monster maul. Crack. And the two pieces of wood fall apart. And then you can take that and put it in your wood burning stove, put some pine boughs and incense and crap in a pot on top of it. And all that would just boil up and smell of Mother Nature. That's her perfume. Since we live down the beach, you know, the thing about the, the ocean is people have been making pilgrimages there forever. It's, it's probably the nat natural attraction. Because it's so vast, you can look out and you can just... It's just calming, man. It never ends. Something so much larger, so much more powerful than our little beings and our little civilization. Just out there. First it's calm, then it's choppy, then it's stormy. Big waves, little waves, all the creatures that inhabit that world. And it's just obviously it's not a place that we are, that we are as comfortable as having our as compared to having our feet on solid ground. Some people, a lot of people, dare to go out in that and live lives at sea, trading or cargo ships or whatever the hell they do. Join the Navy. 
go out and explore, go on unsolid ground and float around rocking in the ocean for days and weeks looking for a new place to call home or some looking for gold or a different type of fruit or food or people. Man's been doing that as long as we've walked on two legs. So the ocean was part of my growing up. As I said, the bay and the ocean. Piles of eelgrass. Looks like little ribbons, like little uh, cassette tape. All the guts pulled out of it. Thousands and then millions of them. All congealed on the shore of the bay and the ocean. Some grass that the currents would just pick up and pieces of flotsam that the currents would pick up and deposit right on the shore. Remember the clamshells, different types, quahogs, cohogs, maybe that's what they're called. We always called them clams, little necks, top necks, cherry stones, chowder clams. You'd see them as the waves retreated, you'd see sometimes the little clams digging into the ground, trying to filter the water as it passed them by, grabbing little microorganisms, plankton and such, slurping them in. And that was their life. And we watched it. Sand crabs, pulling them out, chasing them around, throwing them around, putting them in somebody's, on somebody's belly while they were getting a suntan laying on the beach, putting up your umbrellas. So I enjoyed growing up in a community by the bay, by Mother Ocean. But it was also crowded. I mentioned the pilgrimages before. Everybody's heading to the beach, right? When the weather is fair, everybody wants to go head down to the beach, to the shore. Depending upon where you're from, that's what you call it. Hey, we're heading to the beach for the weekend. Or... We're going to the shore. If you're from North Jersey, that's what you call the shore. We call them bennies. Bennies would come from up north. Bennies, I believe, uh, the term derived, a little acronym for all the train stations that would be heading down towards the shore points. B, Bayonne. E, Edison. N, Nutley. I, Isolin. And so on and so forth. But these are out-of-towners who would come in and they, they were tourists. You know, this is what they wanted to do. They want to come and, and enjoy their beach vacation, relax, look out at the waves, sit on the beach, make a sandcastle. That was their dream, and it's it was our dream too. But that's part of why my parents moved from North Jersey down to Forked River because it was such a beautiful place and it was pretty uninhabited. You know, there were these people called Pineys that lived there and they were like the local hillbilly people, the indigenous people, or maybe the second row of indigenous people. The Pineys. They had been there for so long that they had steep traditions of building garvies, which is a 
traditional fishing boat, duck boat, what have you. It's made of steam-bent uh, cedar trees. Yeah. My father had one that sat in the backyard on cinder blocks for years. Took it out a few times, had it in a, in a marina. It leaked like a sieve. And we sold it. So we got a little bit tired. My parents, I think, got a little bit tired of how stuffy things were on the beach. And our community was where we lived. But they were always looking for an escape, like a lot of people do. You know, like, this is where we go. We were down the beach. We were at our shore house. Or this weekend we're going to mountain. So we were mountain people. We went to the Catskills. They disappeared one weekend and went exploring up in the Catskills in our family's VW bus. It was brown and orange, like the pumpkin mobile. But they went up there and they climbed the mountain with it. Some realtor in a Mercedes convertible driving up in the mountains followed them to some various plots of land that my parents walked on. Beautiful, lush, friggin' ferns, trees, everywhere, all kinds of creatures, all kinds of sounds up there. As we drove up, there were Along the, along the unimproved road that we drove, there was a freaking creek, and the creek would you'd hit you. Be driving up that road, all you hear is shh, like a white noise sound as the creek passed you by, or you passed it, or what have you. dark areas in the path, let's say it was the light of day, noon, on a sunny day, there were areas you'd go through that were so thick with forest that they were really dark, and my mother always called them lions, tigers, and bears areas. Hey, we're going through the lions, tigers, and bears area. Friggin' mossy rocks above, you know, perfect for like a, a predator or something to come over and, and watch you, or deer, or the, whatever, the creatures of life, Sasquatch. Up the trail we went, up the rocky road, around bends and through metal gates, and up to the top of the mountain, and we surveyed this plot of land, 10 acres in the mountains, camped, pulled up a trailer, built a cabin, and essentially a house with a friggin' well 700 foot deep septic tank, all that shit. All the comforts of home, but off the grid, so powered by a generator. And so, when I was a little guy, when I was probably 9 or 10, all the way up through my 20s and early 30s, 
they had this piece of property and it was where they were going to retire. The countless times that we had up there, I mean, just myriad. I remember sometimes, you know, growing up and thinking, all right, well, we're leaving home and all my buddies are out there down at the park playing football or chasing the ice cream in and I'm up in the woods, but looking back, man, I wouldn't trade it for anything. I wasn't missing out on shit. I really enjoyed those visits up to the mountains and in the summer we'd spend two weeks up there. And I saw my parents do a lot of work. There's always, you know, with a house up in the mountains or anywhere, there's always stuff that you need to get done or you want to get done. You make an improvement, you bring another piece of equipment up, you're working on your generator shed now, you put a new door on, something happens in the snow and the chimney gets sheared off by the snow, you got to fix that. You know, so there was, my parents were always cursing and swearing that they had to do something, had to get up to the mountain, they got to haul a bunch of wood or a new generator or whatever, but it was a journey. It was quite the experience. They, we did things. They did things. Had the courage to do things that um, most people only dream of or make excuses why they couldn't do them. And so this is part of the making of Dr. Drill, why I'm such a nature freak. And I think about all this, all these times that we spent up, I spent developing my brain, my body up in the woods in the Catskills and I can smell all of those country roads right now and I can hear the crackle of leaves and the snapping of twigs and that brook rushing by the road. I can hear the creak of the door as you open up our cabin and I can smell the linseed oil that we coated the pine walls with, smell the fireplace, and just that kind of like a damp, almost like a, what would you call it, yeah, like a damp smell of a cabin in the woods that is a man-made structure, obviously, but you can't tame the beast. You can't keep Mother Nature out. So the critters is probably what it was. Little mice would run and scamper, always trying to keep them out, squirting insulation, spray insulation in the uh, cracks and such. But it's in their best interest to find a way into the house. So we had many other inhabitants probably over the years, birds, rodents, snakes, and they just quietly part ways when we would uh, when we would show up, which was, I guess, compared to them, every so often. This is why I appreciate nature. It's why when I'm driving right now, in about 10 seconds, I'm going to look to the left and see my favorite tree. It is a shagbark hickory, just along my path. You don't see a lot of them, or at least I don't see so many of them. So when I see it, I give it a little nod, 
and I wonder at its bark, and just the fact, all that it sees, like here comes all the traffic this morning, shag bark hickory, right alongside the road, it'll be here for 30 years, and then you know what, one day, somebody will drive by and not pay attention to the road, and they'll hit it, and maybe it'll kill the tree, and maybe it'll smack up the car and hopefully it doesn't hurt the person but or maybe the road they'll decide they want to expand the road or that the tree is an impediment and they'll cut it down chop it up and somebody will put it in their fireplace and warm their home that's life the life of a shag bark hickory the life of a person the life of all the little worms and creatures that we don't even see that are buried underneath inches and feet of earth and decomposing leaves and organic matter in the fields as I look. And the sun and the rain and all that shit. The vines that hang from the trees and and all these little ecosystems. I don't think it's hard to to uh, fall in love with this sort of stuff. It's just in contrast to what we have going on, what man has going on, this world that we've built, this it's pretty much designed to try to negate or fight nature, to beat nature, right? We're going to grade everything and put down stone and then we're going to build houses and a development and a road and a civilization, We're going to tame the beasts, or so we think. But it's just obvious that that's not going to happen here. This is a pretty interesting sight here. I always look to the left when I'm driving here. There's an old house right along the side of the road. It's got a half of its roof is mossy, like entirely covered with moss. Bright green moss. And the other half is pretty much bare shingle. And I imagine that that bare shingle, and there's something about that roof or the shade and the moisture and all that that really cultivates the growth on the one side of the of, of moss on the one side of the roof, while on the other side, the conditions do not permit. Just gives you an example of how there's this balance in nature. There's this. this life, sometimes it'll thrive and other times it just goes away or it picks up somewhere else. It's an opportunist. Finds the optimal conditions and then it thrives. Got plenty of nature stories I can... uh, do some addendums to this, but it's part of why I'm such a nature freak, I just love it, all the animals out there, all the cool places, the parks and stuff, from your local park to places like Yellowstone, which I have never been to, so I gotta get going, man, I feel like Yobers really need to step it up and stop going down to their favorite comfortable beach vacation, which we enjoy, 
but I feel like we need to explore a little bit. I want my kids to see some of these things that maybe I did not get have the opportunity to see, or maybe I have. And what is it like to walk down a rocky country road in the mountains and to feel that sense of peace that all around you there's just an entirely different world some of which I mean you have no clue about you don't know what creatures lie out there but most certainly it's very few that would or could hurt you and hear all those sounds of birds and brooks and the weather see how it changes and the effects that it has on the world which is freaking unbelievable man unbelievable and I would hope my, my children would have the opportunity to experience that and that everybody could and if they did then they would not they would be reluctant to destroy nature we want to preserve it at, at every turn and so there's a perspective thing here of course the big climate change debate is raging right now or at least in Donald Trump's tiny mind it is maybe if he had ventured out of the city and spent some time at peace in nature it's not it's not too late go out and sit in the fucking field Donald you'll want to preserve it you'll appreciate it You'll want to plant trees rather than cutting them down and preserve open spaces and see that future generations of human beings. And we're just guests here, man. We're not here to dominate. We're not here to fight and destroy the world and, and our fellow beings of all types. Best case scenario is we just observe, study, and learn from nature and find ways to duplicate her effectiveness in so many situations. Respect her and admit that there are some things that we're doing, the activities of humans that are shitting on this world and that the world seems like it's infinite. It's not. It's finite. It's only so big only so many resources that we can extract. <laughs>